Hey, we are in uh, Hebrews chapter 5 this morning, uh, and you can turn over there in your Bibles as, uh, as, I, as I set this up. Uh, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, if you can cast your mind back before the family service we had last weekend, uh, Randall was talking about Jesus' role as our high priest and starting to explore some of that in uh, Hebrews 4 and the beginning of chapter 5. And really, that's the point in the book of Hebrews, in this whole journey that we've been on through this book, where things started to get really uh, quite meaty and quite in-depth. There's some pretty intense theology that's coming down the road here in Hebrews. And what happens here, interestingly enough, just as the author kind of gets going on this, he stops. In uh, chapter 5, verse 11, there's this very abrupt break in the text. He's just started talking about Melchizedek, and we're all dying to see what he has to say about this, this, this figure from the Old Testament. And then suddenly you get this in, in 5.11. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. And this actually sounds quite harsh, doesn't it? Does it sound harsh to anyone else? Oh, I mean, I thought about trying this this morning. Just starting to teach and give you some theological uh, arguments and explanations for things, and then just stopping and saying, you know, I've got a lot to say about this, but it's quite hard because you're all so dull. <laughs> you know? I mean, that, that's basically what he says. <laughs> I, what would happen if I tried this? You know, I would imagine there'd probably be a couple of elders waiting for me afterwards with the, <laughs> with the rod of discipline for me, and uh, it wouldn't help me build the kind of rapport with you that, that I'm hoping to. But this is actually really quite a harsh word as far as strong language goes in the book of Hebrews. This is about as tough as you get. It's a pretty stern rebuke, especially considering these Christians are really struggling. You remember? I mean, they're going through a tough time. They're, they're being abused on the streets. They're being excluded from the family meals. They're being passed over for promotions at work because they've chosen to follow Jesus. And now the author is basically saying, you guys are just dull of hearing. What's your problem? And there are times in the book of Hebrews where the author is very sympathetic to them and comes alongside them and talks about Jesus' empathy for them as, as their high priest. But he knows as well there are times to give a hard word. There are times when you need to call people to account and call them to step up and be firm with them. And as far as those types of things goes, this is about as strong as it gets in the book of Hebrews. And what's interesting is the issue that is at the center of this very strong rhetoric that the author uses is their attitude toward the Word of God. That's what calls forward this really stinging reprimand. Because they've been so discouraged and they've been disillusioned in their Christian faith, one of the most tragic things that's happened in this community is they've lost their love for God's Word. They've lost their love for the Scriptures. And for them, God's Word was not exactly equivalent to our Bible today, but it's the same idea. Their Scriptures were still being compiled, obviously. They'd just received the letter to the Hebrews, so the whole New Testament wasn't put together. But it is the same idea, the inspired, inscripted Word of God. And for them, this was just becoming something they weren't interested in anymore. They were lethargic toward it, weren't interested in its teachings, weren't interested in knowing more, weren't interested in going back and reading the Old Testament. Now, in light of the Messiah, Jesus, who's come and beginning to find him in some of those places in Isaiah and so on where they'd never seen him before. They just weren't interested. And aren't you glad this is not a problem that any of us struggle with today? 
This is like, you know, this I think is like the black plague of Christianity, isn't it? And, and this word from Hebrews really echoes down the chamber of history as a, a, a very prophetic word, I think, to the church today. If there is one thing that really holds the church back in its witness and in its mission in the world, it is that in the family of God, so often I think we're a family of infants in the word. We just don't know our Bibles as well as we should. At a time in history when there are more translations of this book than ever before, and, and study Bibles, study tools, all kinds of things, biblical illiteracy is the highest it's ever been, and Christians are not getting into the Word, and so many have a weak grasp on this book. At a time in history where the Bible's being translated into more languages than ever before, so many Christians are just not reading it. They're just not making it a habit to get into the Bible. And the irony is that year after year after year, the Bible is topping the bestseller lists, and yet we're just not reading it. We're owning it, we're keeping it on the shelf, but we're just not making it true to our lives. So often we become like that guy in the video whose Bible sits on the table or on the shelf most of the week and we'll pull it out, and maybe we'll pull it out for a, for a quick two-minute read before we go to bed last thing at night, or maybe for a quick read before we fly out to work in the morning, we'll grab it and we'll read it. And then most of the time when we read the Bible, we're, we're tending to read it poorly. We're not reading the Bible well. One of the most common Bible study methods around today is it's quite a complicated method. It's called the flick and point method. I don't know whether you're familiar with this. It's, you know, you get the word and you open it up. Maybe you just got 30 seconds, you know, before you race out the door to work. This is going to be my, my quiet time, if you like. And so here we go. Let's just do it. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. At first, my people went down to Egypt to live, and lately Assyria has oppressed them. Thank you, Lord. Help me. Help me apply that today to my life, you know. So, uh, what are you saying to me, Lord? You know, and the, this kind of thing, where we, we flick, we point, you know. Maybe it's one of those little daily devotional books, which are not all bad, like, you know, the word for today and, and those types of things. They, they have their place. But if all we're doing is reading that little verse or two at the top of the page in the word for today and then reading the devotion and not even cracking open the Bible and reading the text on the page and reading some of the verses around it, it's a pretty minimal approach to the Bible. And we end up, so many of us, back in the situation that these readers of Hebrews were in, where they needed to be taught again the elementary truths of God's Word. And the elementary truths, literally that phrase just means the ABCs. That's basically what it is reduced to, the rudiments of the faith, the very surface level teachings. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, that is more or less where many of us are at today. I came across an interesting study that was done uh, in Australia a few years ago, a qualitative study on the habits that Christians have in regard to their Bibles. I couldn't find a comparative study in New Zealand, but I think this wouldn't be too far from the truth for us. And I want to just pepper some of these statements that came out in this research through this message, because I think some of them are quite telling and might ring true for you. Let me give you uh, this, this first quote. This is the guy who did the study, Rod Thompson, talking about it. In general terms, research participants acknowledged that they preferred to read books about the Bible rather than the Bible itself. That sound like anybody? One said, I read heaps of Philip Yancey, Max Licardo, but I don't read the Bible. I know I'm not reading the Bible enough. I'm reading heaps of books about the Bible. Does that ring true? You know, we read the purpose-driven life, but we don't actually read the Bible. We read the prayer of Jabez, but we don't actually read the prayer of Jabez. 
in the Bible. We'll read the Left Behind series, but we don't read Revelation. And, and yet all of these authors would advocate reading the Scriptures, but for some reason maybe we find the Bible boring and dull, maybe it's just difficult to understand, we just don't have time for it, whatever. We find ourselves reading other stuff or listening or watching to other stuff that might even refer to the Bible, and yet so often we're not opening this book itself. And we end up in the same place as this other person who comments in the study where he says, most of us haven't moved too far away from a Sunday school understanding of the Bible. That's quite severe, but I actually think it's probably not too far from the truth. You think back to those basic truths that you learned in Sunday school. God loves me. Jesus died for my sins. He's my Lord and Savior. I'm going to ask him into my heart. All of those sorts of um, words and phrases. Many of us, I think, are still at that place. It's the surface level truths. And, and of course those truths are right and good and to be affirmed. But the author of Hebrews kind of likens this to infants who just continue to live on milk and never move on to solid food. Now what's going to happen? That doesn't mean milk is bad. Milk is good. It's a good thing, especially the dark blue, you know. But what's going to happen, mums, if you only ever keep your babies on milk and they never move on to solid food? They're going to grow up malnourished. Their growth is going to be severely stunted. They are not going to develop into healthy human beings. And so it is with us as Christians. If we neglect the Word of God, if we're just not reading it, and if we are reading it poorly, we are going to be stunted in our growth because one of the great misconceptions about the Bible is that it is purely a source of information. All you find in here are facts and information and knowledge about God. So if you're not reading it, at worst, what you're missing out on is a bunch of interesting information about God. And that's not really that central to your Christian life. And friends, what we neglect and what we forget so often is that the Bible is the primary source of our spiritual nourishment. Jesus said, man cannot live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This book is our spiritual food. It's the primary way that God has designed our Christian life to be fed and sustained and nourished. It's the way he's going to communicate to you. It's the way he's going to empower you in your life. It's the way he's going to reveal himself to you and his will for you and for the church. It's the primary means we have of knowing and understanding and loving and relating to God. God didn't have to design the Christian life that way, but he has done it in such a way that this book is absolutely and completely central. And we're just kidding ourselves if we think we're going to make any real serious progress in the Christian life apart from this book. For those who are growing believers of Jesus Christ, this book has to be central. It has to be our constant companion. Otherwise, we live in this state that A.W. Tozer called the perpetual childhood of the believer. I think this is a place where sadly many Christians spend most of their lives never moving off the milk, never getting beyond spiritual infancy, because try as we might and, and seek to live a good life and seek to know God and have a relationship with Him, if it's not done in and through this book, it's not going to be real serious progress. It's going to be something else. So how do we do this? There's probably a general desire, I'd imagine, among most of us, that yes, we want to be in the Word. It's just really hard sometimes. It's just difficult to do. What, what's the remedy and the solution? Well, I think in Hebrews 5, from about verse 14, you start to get this direction, start to get a bit of perspective on this. Have a read. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. 
Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of... And then he goes on and gives a series of teachings uh, which really form the elementary teachings that these Christian Jews would have had in the early days. And he says, we need to be able to move beyond them. Don't have time to go into all that this morning. But email me if you want some more information on those. I had it and then I had to take it out because of time. But they were basically the elementary truths. The key word really in this passage is maturity. Let us be taken forward to maturity. Solid food is for the mature. And not just general spiritual maturity, but there is a maturity in the Word of God. And I would argue there is, we can distinguish between an immature approach to the Scriptures and a mature approach to the Bible. And even more fundamental, I think, than talking about how often are you reading the Bible and what are you reading and specific Bible study techniques, which are valuable to talk about, at a more primary level, we need to be able to view the Bible the right way. What is this book to you? When you think about it, what is the Bible? How do you see it? How do you approach it? How do you use it? Because that will frame a lot of the way in which you apply it and read it and study it in your lives. One of the prevailing ways of reading the Bible, and I would call this an immature approach, and I don't mean that to sound overly harsh, but I think it is um, an immature approach, is to view the Bible as a book of facts. And this is a really prevalent view historically over the last couple of hundred years in Christian circles and even today. It's quite dominant. That the Bible is basically, as it's been put by one theologian, a storehouse of facts. And this reduces the Bible really just to a a list of propositional statements about God, about creation, about what to do. And often it comes out in a very sort of moral code type of form. Have you ever heard the statement, the Bible is like an instruction manual for life? Look, if, if that is your view of the Bible, I'm not here to judge you, but that I, I really struggle with that as a description of the Scriptures because it is so narrow and it just reduces the Bible to something that tells you what to do in your life. You know, we, we find the Bible likened to a car manual or the instruction manual for your toaster or something like that. Now, when was the last time you read the instruction manual for your toaster? When is the only time you would ever pull out the instruction manual for your car? When something goes wrong, what are we saying to people by using those kinds of terms about the Scriptures? Only pull this book out when life's really bad and really messed up. The rest of the time you don't need it. And I think that misrepresents what the Scriptures are. It's not just an instruction manual. In fact, it's not even an instruction manual for life at all. One of the great dangers of reducing the Bible just to a series of propositional statements, one, two, three, four, like some some kind of instruction manual, It leads to a way of using the Bible which is very dangerous because if the Bible is simply a storehouse of facts, then what's to stop me taking any individual verse, ripping it out and just using it in isolation from every other verse? There's nothing stopping me doing that because each verse is essentially standalone, statement, 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 fact, fact, fact. And down it goes. So this is what starts to come out, and it's borne out in this research. Let me read you another quote. The sections of the Bible that research participants said were influential were consistently drawn from a highly selective, truncated canon of Scripture. That's collection of uh, Scripture books. Within the Old Testament, for example, only the early chapters of Genesis, a small selection of Psalms, and a group of favoured Proverbs were of notable influence. Other texts, such as Micah 6.8, were well known, despite being in the book of Micah, which participants considered to be highly uninfluential. 
So you see the irony? In other words, such texts were being widely used in a consistently decontextualized manner. In other words, used outside of the context in which they sit. Every verse has a context. It has groups of verses around it. It has a book that it sits within. It has a flow of biblical history that it finds its place within. And for us to rip one verse out and rip one verse out of there, this is a method that is known as proof texting. And I would argue to you that it's a very dangerous method and ultimately does a lot of violence to the text of Scripture. A couple more quotes. Modern Christianity, said one participant, tends to treat the Bible as a proof text source. You find the verse that proves what you want to say. You ever done that? It's a temptation, honestly, as a teacher. Because if you've got a topic or you've got a sermon, it's easy to pull in a verse here, pull in a verse there. Now, it's not to say you can't use verses in isolation, but if we're not being faithful to the context out of which they come, we're really playing fast and loose with the Bible. Another leader said, what I think we're doing is looking for proof texts to support what we're teaching rather than looking for overall principles and concepts that come through the Scriptures. Proof texting, friends, is the milk of the Word. It's not serious Bible study, and it's not a faithful uh, way of using the Scriptures with integrity. We need something more. We need to be taken forward to a more mature approach to the Scriptures. And I'd suggest to you that a more mature way of viewing the Bible is to view the Scriptures as story. It doesn't mean that every book in the Bible and every verse in the Bible is written as a story. Obviously, Hebrews isn't. It's written as a letter. It's teaching something. But every verse and every book in the Bible finds its place within a grand narrative, a grand sweeping story from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, from creation to new creation, a story that covers the entire breadth of the Scriptures. It rises to its pinnacle in the dying and rising of Jesus of Nazareth, and then everything before that in terms of God's dealings with the nation of Israel, everything that flows on from the cross and the resurrection through the church, through the initiation of new creation on earth, moving forward to revelation in that glorious picture of the new heavens and the new earth. And what we find as we start to read the New Testament is that you and I have now been written into the story. We are, it's as if God has cast us on the stage, put the spotlight on us and said, now it's your turn. We're written into the story of God in the, in the second to last act. We know what the end's going to be. We know everything that's come to this point. And God is now saying to us, now improvise. Move the story forward. Move it toward its great climax because this story has not yet reached its great climactic fulfillment in Jesus Christ that still stands ahead of us. And we are now part of this unfolding drama of God's massive rescue mission on planet Earth. And I'd suggest to you that gives us a much deeper and richer and more exciting, I think, approach to the Bible than simply seeing it as a static and sterile list of propositional statements. Learning to view the Bible as a story. And it will help you to understand some of the details. When you begin to understand the great plot, what we call the meta-narrative, that's going overarching the entire scriptures. You can find the place of individual books. You can see the way in which Hebrews is referring back to earlier parts of the story in Israel's history and now beginning to move the narrative forward through Jesus and, and interpreting that event. What does that mean now for us as we move through the first century? You can begin to peg things back to this narrative that transcends the details of the scriptures. Okay, I want to finish just with some really practical suggestions. How do we get into this? How do we start? How do we become men and women of the Word? Number one, get yourself a really good translation of the Bible. Okay? How many people know what translation you're holding in your hand at the moment? 
Okay, good. That's great. And if you're not sure, there is an introduction in your Bible, should be, that will tell you what translation you have and what its purpose is. Different translations have different purposes. And part of the problem if you're struggling with Bible study may be that you're trying to use a sports car as a minivan and you're trying to use one translation to do something it wasn't designed to do. Have a read of that introduction, those pages we never normally look at. It will start to tell you what's this book you're holding in your hand doing. If you're looking for a good all-purpose general translation, I would say that you can't do much better than the NIV. It's pretty good. It's not perfect. No translation is perfectly faithful to the original text, but it's pretty close and it's very readable and very usable. I use the TNIV, which is just an updated version of the NIV. The NIV is a little bit more accessible just through Christian retailers and so on. Get a great translation. Secondly, set up a regular diet of Bible intake, just as you would with food. Set up a daily pattern, a daily habit in your life. And this is, I think, where so many of us let ourselves down because we just lack sometimes the self-discipline to really make this a reality in our lives. And maybe today for you is the day to really covenant before God. I am going to carve out some time in my life every day or five days out of seven, every weekday from 6.30 to 7 in the morning or from 8 to 8.30 in the evening, whatever. I would say half an hour is probably a good time to aim towards. I don't want to be legalistic about it at all. And if you're not there, that's fine. But as something to give you a reference point, be spending that time in the Word and obviously combining it with prayer and personal worship and all of those types of things. But if we're serious about it, friends, it's going to take time and it's going to take a habit of you and I being in the Word. And look, I'm far from perfect at this. Don't see me as someone that's got this figured out. I struggle to make the commitments that I've set for myself, to meet those commitments in terms of really allocating that time. And you better believe that even when you come and sit down and read the scriptures, the last thing that Satan wants you to do is get into this book. So he's going to bring distractions into your mind. He's going to fill your mind with a million things that you should be doing. He's going to cause you maybe to be tired, all of those things. I don't want to over-spiritualize it, but this, it is a real spiritual battle that we're engaged in. And because the word has so much power, we need to be aware of the fact it's going to take real brute force. It's going to take the power of the spirit in our life to really set these disciplines up. But establish this in your life. And there are various ways of using the Bible within these times. Let me just rattle through a few of them. Firstly, hearing the Bible. Some of you may have like the Bible on tape, the Bible on CD, that kind of thing. That's great just to hear it. Reading the Bible is another way. And this will give you the breadth Read a few chapters a day. There's nothing that will give you the big story, the meta-narrative, like simply reading through the Bible. Don't worry about studying it in those times. Don't get tripped up on the potholes. Just push on through it and just read it as you would any other story. And then studying. This is when we go deeper into the Scriptures and really try and unpack some particular verses and particular parts of it. And then meditating on the Word. This is to grab a particularly pertinent section of Scripture and really soak it in. It sounds a little bit mystical meditation, but it's really not. It stems back to Joshua 1.8 where the Lord said, meditate on this book day and night. Don't let it depart from you. And it's just taking a psalm or something like that and just soaking it up like you're sucking a piece of orange and really just absorbing all the juice out of it, turning it over in your mind and allowing God to speak and combining that with prayer and worship. That's just a fantastic use of the scriptures. And finally, memorizing. King David said, I've hidden my word in, your heart, in my heart that I might not sin against you. How can we hide God's word in our hearts so we can access it even when I'm physically not holding this book in my hand to memorize? Take some verses that have been meaningful to you and begin to commit them 
to memory. You need a system of rehearsal to do that. It's not just a case of reading it 10 times and you'll be done, but if you set up the right pattern, put a little cue card on the dashboard of your car, as long as you don't look at it and not the road, but when car crashes as a result of this message, but a system like that that will enable you to start memorizing the words. So mix up these methods, different ways of intaking the Bible, but set up a system of really starting to consume in serious quantities and with great quality the Word of God. Improve your Bible reading habits. Thirdly, become accountable to someone. Just find someone, doesn't have to be really deep and intimate or whatever, it doesn't have to be like an hour meeting every week, just someone that over time can just call you or email you every so often and just ask how you're going with this because we need that. We need someone checking up on us and saying, how are you doing with your Bible reading? Are you meeting those five-time half-hour slots or, or whatever it is you set for yourself? And if not, what, what's happening? And how, someone that will help you work through your life so that you can get that. I know it sounds like a big ask. I know it sounds like giving up half an hour of my day or my week or whatever. Wouldn't it be amazing, though? I always think, you know, if lost was half an hour longer, we would magically find an extra half hour in our week. It's incredible because you find time for things that are important to you. And it may look, it may mean reshuffling your schedule and making some of those big decisions. But I think it's worth it, isn't it, to be getting into the Word. And finally, we have a course that we're going to try and run probably early next term called Unlocking God's Word. We've run this in the past. I've, I've talked to a number of you who have said, I, I really want to read the Bible and um, get into it, but I just don't know how. I read a passage like a parable or something, and I just don't know what I'm reading. I find it really difficult to interpret. And there are some basic tools that you can learn, just some basic skills, particularly for Bible study, that will help you unpack a verse, help you do some study of the context so that you avoid that trap of proof texting your way into the Scriptures, and just help you to be faithful and draw out that meaning in the text and then look for ways of applying that into your life. We'll try and get that course cranking early next term, but keep a lookout for that. It is, I hope, going to be a valuable way for uh, some of you just to connect a little bit deeper with this uh, idea of Bible study. But friends, let me just say, as we, as we wrap this up, one of the things that will be so central in years to come in the life of Shaw that will largely, I think, determine our effectiveness in the mission that God has called us to in this community, in this city, in this nation, is the degree to which we commit together to being a word-centered church. It is so central to my prayer for this community and my hope for our church that we would be people of the word, that this story would become our story, that when people hear Shore Community Christian Church, they'd think that's that church that really loves the Bible. That's that church that's serious about the Bible. Of course, that's not the only thing that we do, not the only ministry that we have, but I would love and our elders would love for that to be a distinguishing mark of this church, that we really revere the Scriptures, that we really lift high the Bible as the Word of God, not just as a book of facts, but as a grand narrative that includes us in it and becomes in our midst a living, breathing story that we are now embodying and living out. And that comes right back to the individual level as we covenant together, even today, that we are going to be serious about this. We're not going to walk out of here and let this message just wash off our back. We're going to put in place what needs to be put in place. You keep me accountable, I'll keep you accountable, and let's get into this book. And I think you'll find if we do that and make that decision this morning, we'll look back on this time as the time God began to transform our lives through His Word, by His Spirit. This is the type of church that we want to be. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. And Lord, we're, we're so often, I'm conscious that I'm so often 
teaching from your word and don't take enough time to simply appreciate what we have in our hands. Lord, this copy of the scriptures that we are privileged to hold and to have. And we think, Lord, down through history of men and women that have even given their lives to make this accessible to us. Translators and interpreters who have made it possible for us to sit here this morning with our own personal copies of the scriptures. Lord, help us to honor this. Help us not to idolize it because ultimately, Lord, we know it is to lead us to you. But help us to appreciate the way in which you have spoken through your word that this book truly is God-breathed and is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, able to penetrate even in our lives to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow, judging the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. Lord, help us to uphold and honor your word. Help us to put in place what we need to, those systems in our lives, to be getting into it regularly, to study and read it well. And Father, by your spirit, would you transform us through it, Help us to be a community shaped by your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.